once again to the Global Gale podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor and whether you are in Melbourne or in Massachusetts, in Buenos Aires or Bundoran, you're most welcome to this podcast. For the 70 million odd Irish people uh, or people of Irish heritage all over the globe. It's been an interesting few weeks getting the podcast started. Still feeling our way around here in the dark a little bit, my friends, trying to find out who you want to hear from and who you don't want to hear from. And it's been fairly hectic because um, one of the things you forget when you're doing a global podcast with guests from everywhere, from New Zealand to New York, it's um, there's time differences, boys and girls, and it's not always easy to get hold of people. And the other day, I was supposed to do an interview with somebody who I thought was in Ireland, and in fact, they were in Oakland, California. And the old eight or nine hour time difference there kind of screwed up the calendars just a little bit. But we're learning as we go along. It's uh, one extra question you you have to ask. I go, okay, I know you're Irish, but where in the name of God are you? So uh, we're certainly getting there. And when I was talking to you recently, I was looking for more female guests on the podcast. And thankfully, a few of them have started to show up. So uh, I'm going to bring you two of them in this episode. So this episode is a little bit special in that it contains the first in-person interview where I actually met the person. It's a person who lives here in Stockholm. Stockholm, Sweden, where I live myself and have done for 23 years. We're going to hear from her shortly. And then we're going to head to somewhere on the road between Florida and Nashville to talk to Claire Cunningham. Claire is an Irish uh, musician and songwriter. She also spent a little bit of time here in uh, Stockholm. She was working with a hard rock band, very successful band called Thunder Mother a few years ago. So they were based out of Sweden and she was over here. And then when her time, she decided to bring her time with that band to an end. And rather than go back to Ireland or stay in Europe, she took off for Nashville, Tennessee, known to many as the home of country music uh, in this world, and a place where, like, it's just the songwriters on every street corner, and the whole sort of songwriting business, or much of the songwriting business in America, it used to be a tin pan alley in New York, but now much of it is done in Nashville, so Claire moved over there. And the reason I want to talk to Claire is she's just such an amazing woman, a ball of energy, an extremely talented musician and singer and songwriter. And a lot of her songs, I don't know a lot of her songs, but certain uh, songs of hers uh, have, have... Ireland in the title. She's an Irish girl, she's an Irish singer and songwriter, she likes rock music, she likes folk music, she likes Americana and she somehow manages to weave all this together and sure we might just swipe one of the songs off Spotify there and give a little listen to it. We might play out an episode of that but before we do that, let's have a little word with Elena O'Shea. Now like many Irish people, um Elena has lived in several different places throughout the world. She's one of the young generation who was able to go off and do her Erasmus. Uh, She was in the city of Chicago with a good friend of mine, Alan McCahey, who also lives here in Stockholm. And Alan suggested I should talk to her because not only is Elena a very talented woman working over here in Stockholm, but she also had a fairly brutal experience that left her with a traumatic brain injury, which basically she has to manage every day. And I love to bring you stories of successful people and successful businesses. And Elena is a very successful person and a very talented person. But I also want to bring you stories of you know people having to overcome things, the sort of struggles that we have to meet in our everyday lives, because I think that gives us all something as well. So the other day... I went to meet Elena here in central Stockholm and she took me up to the top of an office building about seven stories above Stockholm and we sat outside in what is now the chilly autumn air uh, in Stockholm and we had a little chat about Elena and her life and uh, how she ended up having a a traumatic brain injury that she has to manage to this day. So uh, here's the first interview this week, Elena O'Shea from County Galway. (laughs) 
Elena, here we are sitting in the heights of Stockholm for the Global Gale podcast. We're going to bring you to a global audience because I think that story is this good. But maybe we might just start with how you ended up being in Stockholm here at all. Well, actually, being Irish, I got a job with the uh, Enterprise Ireland agency, which is um, sort of the export agency in Ireland. Uh, We have the IGA, which is the internal investment, and then the Enterprise Ireland works with uh, exports. So they were uh, covering from the Irish embassy, uh, Norway, Denmark, Finland, and Sweden, uh, which is based in Stockholm. And I got a job with EI for about, just about two years. Um, And so I got shipped over and I had already been in Stockholm a few times on little like film jobs and um, film and TV and advertising style jobs. So I was really excited to have like an official career start in, in Stockholm. You became an adult. That kind of... It became an adult, had a real career. Well, I mean, journalism is, is um, in between. <laughs> in between the two. But, but, but I think that it's important when you're a foreigner in Sweden and particularly back then that you have as permanent a role as possible because it's not so easy as a non-native Swedish speaker to get those roles. Mm. So I really wanted to find a role that I could grab onto and keep for as long as possible to really develop roots and start to learn the language. Mm. And I think once you master the Swedish language, you're set. You can get a job anywhere. Um, How has that gone for you? I, you know, it took a lot. I think that there's one, there's one good thing about having been forced to learn Gaelic in Irish uh, school. I was I was forced until I was eighteen for the leave insert. We had to do Irish, and I found that a lot of the words in Swedish are the same. They're Gaelic words. So, for example, like "cunning" is a rabbit. Yep. Both "bra" it means good in both languages, and you'd be amazed the amount of Swedish words that are directly out of the Irish language. But we probably stole them from the Vikings. Realistically, <laughs> they built Dublin, so I'd say we stole a few of their words, but. Still, it was a very complicated language to learn in terms of, I guess, the same as if a, a non-English speaker came to Ireland, it's the amount of slang that they have. So the Irish slang is even worse, so I shouldn't complain. But then also the the, the different accents that they have, the um, Skåne South accent is completely different to like the North of Sweden accent and trying to decipher what those words mean because the same word could sound completely different depending on so it's like you know, I was down in uh, many years ago I drove down to Copenhagen and I stopped in Helsingborg which is down the south coast here in Sweden to fill the car mm-hmm. and they started talking to me was, Jesus am I still in Sweden or am I already in Denmark or what happened it was yeah. impossible to understand exactly yeah, yeah. but you, you didn't have any difficulty sort of picking it up then you know you were able to, to use it you, do you use it in your daily work and in your daily life now you know this morning I actually had an hour long interview completely in Swedish I was very proud of myself congratulations with with um, with a, like an external uh, partner so that was even more impressive it, it, it's fine to speak Swedish internally with your colleagues but when you're doing it externally you know there is that extra pressure to to get it right so that you know because you're you're uh, representing the company when you're speaking to an external person so i hope my swedish was good enough but i was very chuffed with myself what kind of work are you doing over here Lena? uh it's a very large it company it's originally german owned they have uh, two offices in ireland they have one in dublin and one in galway i'm from galway so it's really nice to know that if you know it all falls apart i could probably have a job in galway <laughs> In the end, it was you know like a little, tiny little. You know, you always have to have your plan B tucked away somewhere. But there is that the passport on the dresser in the hallway, just in case they run us out of here. We have to have something to go back to. You know? <laughs> yeah, the Irish are not welcome. That's fine. I go to Galway. 
same company um, and uh, it's a really great company because it's so international and there's a lot of opportunities depending I mean there's uh, multiple languages we're in multiple companies all over the world it's a really global company so uh, feeling very secure mm. feeling like I won't you know hopefully get the rug pulled from under me anytime soon I feel this is a great job to be in if you want to stay in Sweden and have a long-term career in Sweden and survive. <laughs> is that the sort of the goal for you now? Is that, the, you know, you looked at it and you go, yeah, I kind of, I want to be here. I like this place. Yeah, well, for me, I found that there's a lot of things about Sweden that just make my life very easy compared to other countries that I've lived in. Um, so I've, I've lived in London. I lived in London for six years and I've dabbled with other countries. And just in terms of the daily small things that make your life easy the things that you might take for granted even like um your bus always comes on time (laughs) (laughs) just those little things you never miss your flight because the train is always running to the airport you know just those little things that just make life so smooth and and stress-free and also the the main thing that i really appreciate about sweden which is probably what we're going to discuss next is the um the public um medical the healthcare system system that yeah that it's public and and it's uh, very cheap and then after a certain threshold it's free mm. and same with the medicine and I'm the sort of person who needs that we'll get on to yeah. that in a second right but just one of the questions I want to ask you before we talk about that is when you go back to Barna in County Galway are you driven absolutely mad when the bus doesn't arrive on time oh god it's, and it's usually raining and windy and the umbrella's turned inside out the hat <laughs> has flown off the head the there's a puddles in my shoes yeah <laughs> so, so you go, oh, I can't wait to get back to Sweden. You, you people are all lovely enough. But let me get back. Listen, you mentioned it there. You mentioned that you lived in in London for six years. So we'll just dive straight into it. Can you tell me about the day that you were attacked in London? Yes. So I was um, attacked from behind by uh, two gentlemen that were in- intentionally trying to take the handbag. So it was a mugging, essentially. And um, I didn't let go of my handbag my reflex was to hold on to my handbag maybe that was a mistake so if I had any lessons to give going forward I would say let it go just let them have it because the alternative is that they drag you on your back and they they um, flip me on my back and there was a curb between the footpath and the road that was quite a a sharp edge Um, sometimes footpaths have kind of a blunt edge so I whacked the the back of my head off the the curb and um that was the start of a very, very long and difficult journey to health. Tell me about the, the immediate aftermath of that, right? So you banged your head. Did you lose consciousness at that point? This is the scary thing about the uh, traumatic brain injury and concussions that people are not aware of, is that a lot of people don't even realize the brain damage that they've done if they have internal bleeding, et cetera, et cetera, because they haven't gone unconscious. I didn't go unconscious. And I didn't even know the effects that I was going to have until the next morning. I went to sleep that night. Um, everything was fine. The next morning, I woke up and I was uh, vomiting. I had a really bad migraine. And my face was twitching and my arm was twitching. And I just thought, wow, this is a hangover. <laughs> was, it, was it literally that you, you thought, oh, God, Christ, I, had, I shouldn't have had that last drink last night? Yes. I mean, being Irish, <laughs> you always <laughs> want the last drink. Um and th- and I really think that there's not a lot of awareness for the extreme um, danger of having a concussion mm. and just how dangerous it is for athletes or for 
even children, um, just the long-term brain damage that you can get and how unaware of the damage that you have. And sometimes even the doctors don't know. They go home, they say, okay, well, monitor yourself. If you have such and such issues, come back in. And at that point, it could be too late. Mm. I mean, you might have internal bleeding, you might have swelling, inflammation, etc. And um, for me, it was uh, TBI that caused epilepsy. So I started getting seizures. Um, but the, the thing is, it got worse and worse and worse before I realized that I actually, that there was something really wrong. And that can happen too, where you don't, people don't tend to act because they don't want to overreact and they don't want to worry. So I thought at first, maybe I have a virus, maybe I have like some kind of a twitch that's just from stress. I mean, you Google, you become a Google doctor first. So it was a few weeks of these constant symptoms of like dizziness, vertigo, um, jerking etc etc before it finally turned into um, an actual tonic tonic seizure and at that point I thought I just fainted Mm. so I went to the doctor and I told her all about these symptoms and so on and she said you have to go to a neurology uh, clinic and you have to get an MRI now (laughs) she she wasn't hanging around no (laughs) No. but I mean you know there's no real awareness for this people don't realize when they have a head injury how serious it is I had no I had no awareness if if we just back up a little bit there you you felt the blow to the head did you think oh that was nasty or did you think you know as you said you didn't lose consciousness did you did you react at all in the moment yeah I mean um I think, well, the, the, there was a loud crack and a bang uh, where I had probably cracked my skull or whatever. And I just thought, that's going to hurt for a few weeks. And because I'd had in, head injuries before and I'd seen many people having head injuries before. And it was always, and especially on movies with all the kung fu and all the whatever. They, you know, they get hit a lot and it's grand. Or e- even myself as a big um, fan of UFC and boxing and, and martial arts and seeing all the head, you know, the head blows that they get and just thinking, well... They're grand, but on second thought, are they grand? Are they okay? I mean, if you look at um, all of the fighters that have ended up with Parkinson's disease, for example, from constant blow to the head, I mean, this this low-grade inflammation, which is kind of what I have now, it carries with you over a lifetime. And that low-grade uh, inflammation from a traumatic brain injury can turn into Parkinson's, it can turn into MS, it can turn into mental illness, it can turn into epilepsy. There's so many terrible things that can happen from just bashing your head that you don't even realize. And they can take a lifetime for you to realize. And the sooner that you can um, get the help that you need, the sooner you can actually quash the damage and start to repair because your brain can repair itself. But only if you know, only if you know what's going on and then take those steps to try and repair it. You mentioned there about the healthcare system in Sweden and that here it's sort of cheaper, it's more accessible for you to get the help that you need. What help do you need in your daily life now to, to keep these seizures at bay? Well, I am today celebrating 33 days seizure-free. Congratulations. <laughs> so no help. <laughs> I, I feel really amazing. I've had a, uh, just, uh, I, I'd say, as with all people who have epilepsy, a wide range of failed medications. And I finally found the medication uh, combo that seems to be working for me. And I've heard these great success stories of people having epilepsy, finding the right medication, being completely seizure-free, and the brain, once it's seizure-free, actually healing itself. Okay. Finally getting that chance to recover. And, I mean, I've, I've heard my neurologist say that 
you know, some patients, they were maybe seizure-free for three years. So they started tapering off the medication and the seizures never came back. Okay, so, so it can actually, if, if it gets the right circumstances, the brain can actually go, hang on a second. If I'm it stops put exploding, myself. if it stops. <laughs> because, I mean, a seizure is... is basically an explosion in your head it's like a it's like an earthquake so it kills off so many brain cells it causes inflammation it causes mass damage which causes more seizures which causes more seizures so it's like a A vicious vicious, yeah exactly vicious cycle and once you give your brain the chance to rest and heal it can actually build new brain cells build new neural pathways neuroplasticity and you can actually get um all of your brain functionality back which is incredible it sounds to me like the kind of thing that I really don't want to have to learn about, but you've kind of been forced to do so. Yep, and I and I and I get so frustrated. And the number one thing that frustrates me is seeing people without helmets riding bicycles. That's your thing. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I was in Denmark two years ago, and I saw a guy without a helmet getting smashed by a car when the light was green for the cyclist to go. So sometimes the cyclist thinks, well, I wear a helmet and I obey the... I don't wear a helmet, but I obey the rules. But that doesn't mean that the cars are obeying the rules. So why put yourself at risk of smashing your head open, which is what that guy literally had to deal with. And, you know, God forbid he could have epilepsy now. We don't know. But why put yourself at that risk when it's not that expensive to buy a helmet and that's your life? That's your whole life. Yes, okay, you know, you might die, but that's actually the least of your worries, long-term neurological disease or long-term effects of a traumatic brain injury are much worse. And for me, I was lucky in a sense that I got epilepsy and I didn't get um, mental illness, but I know that some mental illness is actually caused by traumatic brain injury and people aren't even aware. And there's been, you know, stories that of people that I've known in the past that had psychotic breaks and they did an MRI and they found massive inflammation in the brain. And as soon as they got that inflammation down... They're, they were sane. <laughs> they were happy again. Yeah. 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 Yep. How did the when you did have seizures, and I hope you never have one again. But how did they manifest themselves? Were they very debilitating? Was it the kind of thing where you just extremely, completely collapsed? Extremely debilitating, and it's not just the seizure itself. It's the aftermath of the seizure. It's the um, you know you have to have somebody hold you while you are on the bathroom. You have to have someone like you know hold your hand feed you even sometimes spoon feed you because your your muscles are so weak you're you're you have tremors you have um you know you're drooling you know it really burns your brain you're a vegetable for a few a few days sometimes even a few weeks after a seizure how did that affect you as a young woman living your best life here in stockholm the capital of sweden and that kind of thing i mean that must have had a, a detrimental effect on your mental health as well did it? not so and I Delighted know, to hear it. And I don't know why in particular, but I have this theory, and maybe it's ridiculous, but I did a blood test a while ago, and my endo, my endocrinologist or whatever said, wow, you've got dangerously high levels of serotonin. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't heard know them say that before. connected. But my serotonin levels are naturally very high, and that can actually cause seizures too, strangely enough. Well. Um, no, but I feel like with with seizures, it's kind of like you... You get knocked down, you don't remember how you got knocked down, you get back up again, you take the few weeks and months, you take the pills, and then your life is fine again. It's like a bad flu, I would say. Um, you get over it, and the, the more it happens, I think you build up a resistance to it. Maybe the first one or one or two that I had maybe 10 years ago were quite 
I would say, PTSD-inducing. <laughs> yeah. Because you lose complete control over your bodily functions, which is never fun. Um, so it's just, it's really a loss of control that you feel when you have a seizure. That you, especially if you know it's happening. But even if you wake up afterwards and you didn't realize, and then you, you know, you're drenched in sweat and you're, you're vomiting blood and your tongue is all mashed up and you're just thinking... Well, that wasn't fair. <laughs> <laughs> what did I do to deserve this kind of thing? Yeah, so that takes a while to get over, I mean, initially. But then you kind of build up a resilience. You get very resilient and very brave. And I've met other people that have um, epilepsy for various reasons. Um, and some of them are the most positive people I've ever met. They're so happy. They're so... Uh, they live this kind of YOLO mm. lifestyle, <laughs> which is incredible. And um, I think it... it it, it can shape your mindset in one of two ways it can be doom and gloom I just give up this shouldn't have happened to me it's not fair nothing's ever going to go well I'm never going to get rid of this epilepsy I just give up or I'm going to get so strong I'm going to live each day like it's my last because it could be and I'm also going to hope for the best that it goes away mm. and that's kind of my attitude <laughs> and that's kind of yeah. where you are now right so 33 days without a seizure do you have to take a lot of medication to keep you on the straight and narrow Unfortunately, yes, but as long as it's working, I don't care. I mean, at first I was really into the whole no drugs, all natural, drugs are not good for your body, but guess what else is not good for your body? Seizures. <laughs> <laughs> the novelty wears off fairly quickly, I oh, can yeah. imagine. I'd rather have a slight medication hangover than a seizure hangover. So, I mean, of course I, I try to make everything else as clean as possible, like in terms of, you know, I wouldn't take painkillers or I wouldn't, you know, there's loads of other medication that I would avoid as compensation for all the heavy Med, you know the epilepsy medication that I take so I kind of try to balance it out so I have a very high pain threshold <laughs> you kind of have no choice is, is there is there any sort of nasty side effects to the medication that you do have to take um yeah just silly things like um constant hyponometria where I get uh like um and this is very common with certain epilepsy meds but luckily the current meds that I'm on don't have this effect thank god but it's where hyponometria is where it's kind of what athletes get as well actually it's um extreme dehydration (laughs) your electrolytes are just gone your sodium is is way lower than than extreme dangerous levels and that causes more seizures as well i mean that causes seizures in athletes who don't even have epilepsy so that's another lesson to learn is um drink your electrolytes <laughs> <laughs> you always see these sort of you know sports yeah. streets you go oh that's garbage until you actually need them when oh, you, yeah, reach you need them. them then you realize wow this is actually keeping me alive um there's nothing more scary than having a low electrolyte balance and needing to go to hospital and iv because your salts are so low that you you haven't got control of your body you sound like you're speaking from experience there yeah i've had a lot of i i, I went hiking in norway uh six hours a day um for six days and my sodium level because of the medication got so low that I was having seizures non-stop I mean non-stop all day every day it became um it became status elepticus status epilepticus they call it when your seizures don't stop and uh, then as soon as they realized it was sodium because none of the medication was working um, and so it was so it was a sodium seizure which is ridiculous <laughs> you know <laughs> the medication is giving you seizures um so that's one side effect but another side effect is just your blood levels in general like your liver values and your kidney values are always pretty bad <laughs> but but otherwise i mean you just compensate you eat that extra salad if you can <laughs> is there anything in life now that you can't do because of the epilepsy 
Yes, the most important one, which is very disappointing, is that I cannot handle jet lag. <laughs> Can you not? No. no, because a lot of epilepsy is centered around your body clock mm-hmm. and your circadian rhythms. And if your sleep is even off by one or two hours, you can get a seizure. Okay, so, so you won't be in any hurry to go to America anytime soon or that kind of thing. I have. I went to LA and I had seizures for two weeks straight. <laughs> so it's just not worth it anymore, no. is it? <laughs> no. No, and my, and my neurologist gave me um, uh, melatonin, which helped a little bit because that kind of tricks your brain. And if you try to stay, you can do it if you try to stay within the hours of your home country. So like if you're in New York, for example, that's six hours different. So if you wake up like at five, four or five in the morning in New York and you start your day early and you go to bed by 6 p.m. or 7 p.m., it's doable. Like you, you can do it, but it's I, that's no fun. <laughs> I was in um, Vegas there recently for a UFC fight and I came back and the jet like just killed me in a way that it never did before. That's your brain. That's brain damage. Yeah. <laughs> it very it much felt like brain damage <laughs> at the time, you know. If you look into the future, Elena, and thank you very much for taking the time and for being so honest and open about this. Do you ever see yourself in a position where, you know, when you look back at these last 33 days now, you go, okay, that's actually my future now. This may never happen to me again. Or is that sort of setting yourself up for a fall, would you think? No, I'm I'm a glass half full kind of person and every time I've been seizure free I've celebrated with my neurologist and I've been like that's the last time <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I'll keep doing that because I, like what else am I supposed to do be be a pessimist <laughs> <laughs> you can't, no way you, you won't allow yourself to be defined by this at all no no and I, I think that um, I mean it's not I, I don't even mention it I think that half my colleagues don't even know that I have it and I, but I don't care if it's out in the open if it is because it doesn't affect my cognitive ability it doesn't affect my mental health in any way it's purely a physical a, a, a physical occasional disability I would call it because it's not even constant it's it's maybe like once twice a month um, sometimes it can be every day but I would consider that as I said like a bad flu um, you know it's like everyone gets sick for something so I don't consider myself less than anyone because I have epilepsy because I I can still do a lot okay I'm not allowed to swim on my own I'm not allowed to take a bath on my own I'm not allowed to drive a car but I mean there's so much I can do and that's what I focus on you mentioned there your love of boxing your love of the UFC and mixed martial arts how do you square that knowing what you know about you know when people get kicked and hit in the head I know. When I see them getting those elbows and knees in the head, uh, I'm just thinking, oh, God, I hope you're taking an anti-inflammatory. Because <laughs> that's going to swell in your brain. Um, and, I, 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 yeah, that's a really good question. It really is. No, because... Contradiction. Yeah, no, but I have the, exactly the same problem because, you know, I, like even seeing Muhammad Ali as a young man growing up and the most beautiful human being you ever mm-hmm. see, and then to see him getting Parkinson's is the hardest thing I have to reconcile yeah. because I still go and watch boxing and I still watch the UFC and that. Yeah. But, but if we zoom out a little bit from that, if you want people, what do you want people to leave this conversation we're having with? Well, I mean, first of all, let's just start with the, maybe they could do more chokeholds. Unless <laughs> that's a good idea. <laughs> that doesn't affect the brain, only the throat, I think. <laughs> so much. Um, but for the general public, for the general public, my number one message would be to watch yourself, and that could be anything from when you're riding a bicycle, make sure that you have your helmet on, to even when you're just walking down a frozen path, black ice. Watch yourself. Like your brain is way, way, way more fragile than breaking a leg. 
if you have to fall, fall on your leg, don't fall on your head. Because the after effects are literally could last a lifetime and it's not worth it. I'm away to buy a helmet. Elena, thanks very much for talking to me. (laughs) Thank you. There you go. The wonderful Elena O'Shea here, sitting on the top of the Urban Deli building here in downtown Stockholm, uh, not far from where the Prime Minister Olaf Palme was murdered many years ago, which may sound like an odd thing to say, but it's one of those landmarks here in Stockholm. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. It certainly gave me food for thought because I'm one of those lads who thinks I'm absolutely immortal, right? I'm invincible. And when in talking to Elaine, I realised exactly how fragile we are, right? When I was learning to ski over here in Sweden, probably 20 years ago now, and my parents-in-law, my wife is Swedish, my parents-in-law just thought this was the most hilarious thing ever. And I sort of sent them all away. I said, look, I'll teach myself to do this. And there was no YouTube or anything else like that. So I learned how to ski and that. And then I got a little bit cocky, lads. And I was skiing down a slope and there was a little bump and I thought, oh, this is great because I get a little bit of a jump in here now. It's almost like real skiing like we used to watch on BBC, you know, back in the day and that fantastic music for Ski Sunday, you know. So the next thing I went over the little bump anyway and then I went into a little hollow and then my head hit the ground, right, the right hand side of my head and you know when you watch a cartoon and you see a cartoon get hit in the, be- the head and the birds fly around and everything else, this was like a bell going off, right, it was like a bell ringing in my head I thought, oh, okay. And I went and I sat down there. My father-in-law said afterwards that, you know, I was completely out of it. Like, I didn't know what was going on at all. Now, still, you know, speaking and that kind of thing. But I really was out of it for a little. And that's basically not to the same extent as what Elena suffered. But it is a trauma. It is brain trauma. And I spent so much of my time watching boxing and mixed martial arts and that kind of thing. Uh, that you know you do really have to wonder about and even heading the football you know when you're playing soccer or even if you get a bang in the head playing Gaelic football it's certainly, certainly something that we need to think about because it's a very very delicate organ and look at you know a few of us we weren't born with too many brains to begin with so we should probably take care of what we've got anyhow this is a listener supported podcast right it will always be free I'm not putting this behind the paywall, lads, because I know what it was like to move abroad and be trying to establish myself and not have the price of a drink, let alone a podcast every month, right? But if you can afford it, please go to patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm. I hope that somebody on WhatsApp now send me uh, a little message saying, yeah, I'll definitely uh, support that podcast for you. But patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm. And if you can support every month for a fiver, that would be brilliant. There's a certain amount of people that Uh, that I need to get to support the podcast to make sure that I can keep doing this. But I will absolutely promise you, I'm not putting these things behind the the, the paywall. But that means that those of us who have a few bob and are controlling a few bob, please do so, right? So if you have a fiver a month, 60 quid a year, uh, on the Arrowman and Stockholm podcast feed, there's between 8 and 10 podcasts every month that come out there. So it's really like to think it's decent value for money and that we're providing a decent service for people. Now, a little bit of news for the Irish around the world. I hear, it's not announced yet, so I can't tell you officially, right? But there's a government initiative starting up again to, to reconnect, if you like, for the first time since 2019 with the Irish abroad. There's going to be a global civic forum. I'll give you more te- details about that when I get it, but I, I'm expecting it. I think it's being launched at the start of December. And it's going to be one of those situations where the Irish community has a sort of a forum or a platform to really speak to the government and to the state back in Ireland and tell them who we are and what ne- we need and what we can do for the country as well. So keep an eye out for that. I think Minister Colin Brophy is the man behind it. He's the minister for the diaspora at the moment. So keep an eye out for that because we often think of ourselves, you know, as, oh, should, you know, who wants to hear from me or what could I possibly do about that or that's too much hassle, right? But if you listen back and hear the likes of Rodney Walsh down in New Zealand, 
a couple of weeks ago. The Irish abroad, first generation, second generation, third generation, were extremely important to Ireland. We are kind of, you know, de facto ambassadors everywhere we go. So it's very much worth listening to what they have to say, listening to what they want to say about Ireland and to see if we can help there in any way and indeed if they can help our communities in any way. But that'll be coming up at the start of December. Now when you're listening to this, I will probably be in Qatar at the World Cup. Still not sure how I feel about that. So over the next few weeks, uh, I'm going to be bringing you interviews, hopefully bringing you interviews from people over there as well. But I have a few guests that are lined up. Uh, Some of the interviews are recorded already. More will be coming whilst I'm over there. So if there is a little bit of a break in service, if you get up on a Saturday or if you're there on a Saturday evening when this podcast usually drops on the other side of the world and it's not there, bear with me, lads. Nothing's happened. I will get them up there. So I'm trying to put them all up there and get as much of the work done as possible before I even go there. But like I say, by the time you hear this, I'll probably be on the ground in Qatar. Anyhow, on to our second interview of the week. So I gave Claire Cunningham uh, from County Loud a call the other day. As I say, she's, and you'll hear me mention it in the conversation, I follow her on social media and that, and she's just a, a great woman altogether for getting out there and really doing her own thing. And no more than myself, there's nobody here, there's no producer sitting in a, in a control room here uh, doing everything. There's no social media team. Everything you see, that comes through me. And Claire does the same thing with her songwriting and her music. And she was on her way home from a festival the other day, and I said I'd give her a call in the car. So we set up a little call there, and I rang her on WhatsApp, and we had a little bit of a chat about her conversation, a bit of a catch-up there. So this is Claire Cunningham from County Loud about making the trip to America, to Nashville, Tennessee, to the home of songwriting country music in America and trying to make it there and make it she has, ladies and gentlemen. So enjoy this one and I'll be back to you to sign off before we're done with this episode of the Global Gale podcast. I was going to ask, how did a girl from Collin in County Loud find herself somewhere on the road between uh, Florida and Nashville after playing rock and a festival all weekend in that part of the world? Yeah, a lot of people have asked like why I've chosen where I've gone, and obviously I'm based in Nashville. Um, I kind of when I was in Sweden um, and I was wrapping up where I was and what I was doing there with the girls and Thunder Mother. I looked into America and then I figured that Nashville was a great music scene, not just for the scene that's there, but the business side of it too, because I'm not a country artist per se, but, you know, the site is known for its hospitality and, you know, there's a great scene. I LA as well would be more my, like, personal lifestyle choice. Uh, for the ocean and the fitness and stuff like that but I knew Nashville was more sustainable for a, for a, for a new for music so that's kind of like what I started looking into and I was correct you know it's a great 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 place um, we had kind of like people who are interested in music you mentioned country music and Nashville there the two go hand in hand you know but from the business perspective I mean you have to make a living doing what you're doing right the songs you write and the performances that you do every week that's what you make your money at is it is it just as easy as rocking up and saying look I have a bag full of great songs here who wants to buy them or how do you go about establishing yourself in a place like that well you know and I'm on a visa as a recording artist as well so there's a it's not just as simple as doing what you've just said but 
in a roundabout way, it's more about the network and the connections and the friendships you make. So I think that whole pipe dream of going to somewhere and thinking you're going to get discovered, I think those days are a little bit outnumbered now. Hmm. It still exists, of course. But I think the way the industry has gone, if you're riding with people who, you know, have an in with, you know, synchronization, that's such as movies or TV or who can get a song out to a bigger artist like it's all about those kind of connections and how do you go about that did you know anybody there before you moved over to Nashville or you know did you just sort of go in cold and say right here I am give me a gig here's a song kind of thing no I went in cold but again like I was explaining the whole visa process which I'm not sure people there's no point going into that but you know, you can't just, I couldn't just come over. I had to, my specific visa was for a specific, you know, uh, area in the music industry. But no, to answer your question, I didn't anybody. So I've worked extremely hard to get to where I am right now and the relationships that I've built. But it's a great place because if you show good work ethic and that you're willing to do the work and you know not listen to the masses you know you'll you'll be successful anywhere you go that's not just natural but there is it's a good community and people are very aware that when people come over first they're willing to help you but you can't like a lot of people come over and think I never asked anybody to help me either you know I wanted to show my work ethic I didn't want to use anything I did in my past to get a door open that's not my style but a lot of people will do that here but you know it's few and far between people are gonna will help you if they know you're willing to work so what was that like in the very beginning? Because I remember, you know, you when we got to know each other first, you'd moved over to Sweden to play with a rock band called Thunder Mother and you had a, a fairly serious amount of success with that band. And then, you know, you decided that you wanted to do something different and you made the decision to move to America. Uh, how easy was it to make that decision? Because, you know, I mean, you were taking a very big risk in going over there. It would have been easy enough to rock around Europe and play in pubs every night of the week and that kind of thing. But that wasn't the life that you wanted for yourself. Well, no, my mental health was suffering um, for many reasons. Um, And I had to make a decision like, you know, what is it and where am I going? Uh, But no, definitely not. It wasn't an overnight decision and it wasn't something I could just do. You know, I was signed and we I had to make that decision and departure like what people don't realize that departure took about a year to do. It wasn't just, okay, I'm, I'm away now. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> so yeah. See ya. And also it took a year to get a visa together and all the paperwork. So again, I'm not going to bore people with that side of things, but it's just, it's, it's not an overnight uh, decision and an overnight, um, you know, process. So um, yeah, I mean, Ideally, I thought my life was set in stone there and I, you know, but nothing, nothing is, I guess. And, um, you know, I, I had to work even harder when I was trying to leave the country as well as when I got into it. So, but, you know, that's, that's a whole other, that's a whole other story nobody needs to know about. <laughs> 
Can you remember your first gig when when you got to Nashville? Can you remember where the first place you played was and, and how it felt to be getting up on the stage there all in your lonesome? Um, yeah, well, actually, I had uh, I was visiting Nashville um, prior to um, me actually getting the the full move there. I think it was I made a move in May, but in March of that year, I went to visit and I actually um got invited up to do oh it was something in Tootsies I remember but that I don't do that scene anymore but that was uh, that was a bit of a, an opener because uh, the band that night had actually said well listen come and see us down further on down the road we'd love to get you back up like you're a little bit different <laughs> and um, I did and I started making the connection so um you know, but I was there. I'm a, I'm a writer. I'm a songwriter and performing artist initially. So I, that was never the plan to do any of those kind of things. But you know, I did a little, a little bit of that hmm. when I first got my feet wet in town. You know, hmm. it's kind um, of one of those things. Yeah, it felt great. Yeah, when you don't really, you feel you, you kind of don't have a choice when you arrive somewhere. And as you mentioned, you just want to show people that you're prepared to graft and to get stuck into these things. You know. Oh yeah. And it's not just the performance side, it was the writing side as well. So, you know, when you get to Nashville, you can't just walk into a room and write with people. If you don't know somebody, I had to get my face out there, you know. But I'm I'm a solo writer as well. But, you know, it's all about the co-writing in Nashville. So, hmm. you know, that's another side of it that doesn't happen in other states is that you build relationships to write songs with people and then start doing the process that way as well how easy do you find that to do because you know it can be a very sort of a, a personal thing it, it can rely very much on chemistry when you're sitting down to write a song with somebody you know um, do you find it easy to write with different people do you prefer to write on your own or, or what's the process like for you well so here's the thing and people ask me this like it's it's the process of writing songs is extremely different in every aspect of you know of the making of a song but the way Nashville runs and the way I don't do it anymore is that it's um two people or three people come together sometimes you know them sometimes you don't and then you're stuck in a room and you come up with a concept and you write a song that to me is just it's fine, but as an artist who wants to talk about real life topics and put emotion and feeling into it, that doesn't work very well with me. Like it has in the past, certain songs have come out, um, but it's a formula way of writing. And then things have to rhyme together. It must be under three minutes. It's all the, you know, just gurgitated, formulated stuff. And it works, but it's a very natural way of doing it. So. Uh, when the pandemic hit, that's when I started writing on my own. And they're the songs that are standing ground now. And they're the ones that people connect with the most. But it, I say it's a solo right, but it really is the Lord giving me a message and I'm just a conduit to it. You know? hmm. And you find it easier to do that in yourself? It's easier to, to do that by yourself, should I say, rather than in sort of communion with other people? It's not that it's easier, but when it's just me, Hmm. I can write what I feel and I, there's no judgment in 
made and there's nobody saying oh I don't think we should put that word there and that doesn't rhyme with that and that's okay because if it's a good hit writer like it depends on who you're writing with and what their personal life is and what their experience is because if I get into a room and I'm writing with somebody who's brand new to the game they're you know they might have an awesome concept but they might not have you know it's just it's so different and diverse depending on who you're in a room with um, but you know what I love it's if, if I'm in a room and I was writing with somebody who is an accomplished guitarist or pianist or something then the music it, it gives me more motivation and it gives me more of an emotion music or say I'm limited so then I feel like that right might be limited but again it's just it's no two writing sessions are ever the same so if there's no one blanket rule applies to all um, I could give you like a million different scenarios but it's just it's, it's a different process for every single time you know and hmm. um, you've been fairly picking up a whole bunch of awards since you went over there Claire there's all sorts of uh, a songwriter achievement award there uh, in 2022 for a song called This Is Me uh, you've been a five time nominee at the Josie Music Awards best music video for Angel of the Emerald Isle and a lot of your songs uh, or not a lot of them but certainly you have a good few songs that, that deal with Ireland as a subject how do you sort of retain your connection to Ireland is it something that you think about when you sit down to write songs or is it just, is it just in the moment no they're in the moment like every single Irish song apart Angel of the Emerald Isle, which I co-wrote with a lovely gentleman called Patrick McManus. Um, they've all been in the moment. Um, and they've been just those kind of rights that... And No Place Like Home was written with another guy too, uh, Colin Rowe. But even the new ones, like I've, I've got one that's going to come out again probably next year. And I just written in my car like my writing process has changed over the years but if it's if it's anything to do at home it usually just comes as a download mm. to me so it's and that's hard to explain to somebody like nobody's who's not a writer can understand what like when you're just getting a message from above and it's just like coming down onto paper it's 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 not something i can you know, it's it's hard to explain. It's it's like a feeling that you'd love to explain it, but it's not it's not possible because it's just in the moment. But and sometimes I'll think, right, I have a project or I'd like to put out maybe another if I was saying now to myself I'm putting out a Celtic thing, I'd have to go into the process and think, right, I'm going to actually write now and I'm gonna write with a purpose. But I typically don't write that way anymore. Hmm. I like it to be natural and for me to be feeling something in the moment and if I have an idea then I can write about it or bring it to somebody and maybe say hey I'd like to write about this you know hmm. Do you find that, you know, when you speak to people, obviously, I mean, Nashville has been a place where music has been at the centre of it for maybe a hundred years or more. Do you find that when you come in, you know, to to any sort of a meeting, a songwriting meeting or a business meeting, and you say, I'm Claire Cunningham, I'm from Ireland, I'm a singer and I'm a songwriter. Do you find that people have certain expectations of you in that case? Um, no, they don't have expectations, but they definitely they like the foreign side of things you know but that doesn't mean I get things either because I advocate for myself I'm my own manager I'm my own booking agent and I even like 
it's wild. Like people are always asking, like, why aren't you here? Why aren't you doing this? Or why aren't you playing that festival? And I'm like, well, I did email them. So unless you have an advocate for you, like I sent out 300 and something emails last year and I got one Celtic festival back. Like, and I'm an Irish girl in America with the accent because apparently they love that. (laughs) Uh, And and the songs. And yet I still can't get booked because, and that's what I mean about, it's all about who you know and what, and and the connections and the networking you do. And once you have your foot in the door, Hmm. you know, it was the same when I went to Stockholm, you know, I, but that was different because I was signed with a band and, it was already a process that was started, so I didn't have to do the groundwork as much there. But for my solo career, I did. I had to prove myself, and I feel like I always have to, and I want to. I, I'm, I'm, you know, but there, I guess there's a, maybe a small expectation. But you see, I don't just do Celtic music, mm. so that also is, you know. I, I, I do a lot of different styles, but it's I'm trying to predominantly like lean more towards it or the folk Americana because that's what seems to go down best here, you know. Mm. Um, you mentioned your own mental health there, and when you were leaving Sweden, that that was sort of been a part of the decision that you weren't feeling well mentally. How are you feeling these days? You seem to be in in quite a positive place at the moment. Yeah. So, like, I think every day you have to check in with yourself and like. You know, I'm going through things in life right now that would have probably caused me a lot greater difficulty if I wasn't where I am now and what and the process that I do every day. You know, I take time to to make sure I'm centered and because everybody, everybody suffers all the time. Like there's there's no there's no day that isn't without its struggle or a week or whatever, a month and so I'm definitely got more of a grip on how I handle situations or how I come across or I don't let things build to the point where it's too much. And yet, don't get me wrong, I'm like, you know, I'm right there with people, you know, when when things go wrong, but your mental health is extremely important when you're good as well. So I don't I don't just do things to make myself better when things are bad. I'm making sure that I'm keeping it up on a daily basis so it when it does get bad that I can handle it better. Mm. So I think when people look at somebody like I'm an advocate for it, but I also suffer. So that's what I want to I want people to know. It's not like you suddenly become healed and you're totally fine and rid of things they'll still be there but it's just how you cope and handle them um becomes a lot more you know um it, it's 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 more doable i guess you know because yeah. you're always somebody who's very interested in, in physical fitness and is it the same thing that you know mental mental health and sort of mental fitness is something that you kind of have to work on as if you were going to the gym you know you're not going to be able to run a marathon if you don't sort of build up to it do you feel the same way about mental health that it's something that you have to work on in a similar way 100 percent. you are the body that you are in if you are not looking after it with your diet, with your exercise and with your mental and emotional, then how are you going to 
think that you're going to give anything good and positive out of that. That doesn't mean, you know, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, well, I don't have time to do this. I don't have time to do that. But you really have to put in work into your own body. And that's all aspects of it, emotional, mental and physical. And if you're not doing all three of those or a combination of every day, then you know, you're going to feel the effects of it. So I'm a huge advocate for the physical side of things too, because the physical means that the mental will be kept sharp. Hmm. And when you have, when you keep up with physical and that can just simply be movement, you don't have to go to a gym and, you know, lifting weights and doing all these things. It's just moving your body, making sure that you're getting good nutrients, but that you're actually, um, physically raising your heart rate so that your dopamine and serotonin levels and everything just everything benefits to your body moving your digestive system and it's catch 2022 oh i keep saying 2022 i've done that all weekend catch 22 what am i like um that could be the name that could be the name of your autobiography now catch 2022 i Swear to God, every time I said that this weekend, I kept saying catch 2022. And I'm like, what am I doing? Um, but yeah, it's, it, 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 I think when people feel bad, then they eat bad and then they look bad and then it's a cycle, you know? Mm. So I think catching yourself and doing one small change will help in other areas in your life. And I'm an advocate for it. And I'm, I can promise you that it works perfectly for me but also with people i know who do it and all the science is behind it you know the brain the brain body connection it's just it's huge you know before like i'm not against medicating if you need it short term but it should not be a long-term fix Mm -hmm. and so everything everything on us whether we have uh, an ailment on our body or something's coming out on the skin or you're feeling a certain way it comes from within everything so you can mask things you can put creams over things you can do it but if you're not looking at what's coming from within and for most people stress is the biggest you know killer uh of all time like it, it's it's what most people go to their doctors about hmm. um and that can simply, it's not like your stress is going to just dissipate, but you can absolutely manage stress and manage your lifestyle if you just have a good mental health, which is helped by physical movement. And, you know, whatever way you want to meditate, praying, you know, uh, it, you know, people have their own way of, of dealing and coping. So I, I I'm a big advocate for that, 100%. And there's a lot of science to back it too. So, but I, I encourage people if you're if you don't know where to start, use the body that God gave you. You don't have to know how to use a machine in a gym. In fact, most machines are not built for your body uh, or yours specifically. So, you know, you can go for a walk, go for a run, do squats. You know, you, you have bands. Get your own little thing. You don't even have to. You don't have to leave your house to even you know, get that movement in, but I encourage it. Mm. Highly. <laughs> yeah. 
and it was, it's one of those things that you know years ago I remember I, I hurt me back years ago and I couldn't move for about a year and you know playing football and, and getting out and doing things that was my social outlet as well and I was miserable for the year or so it was in 2015 I still remember you know almost the dates you know and how much better I felt when I was able to do those things again does music play a part now not your own professional career Claire but do you listen to music as part of that sort of mental health regimen are there things that you listen to that you find inspiring or that lift you up it's odd because as a musician I don't listen to music ever mm. like I, I do if I, if I need to but I actually listen a lot to like uh, scientists and neurological podcasts and and, and I and I love listening to sermons like I, I there's a few pastors I listen to with good messages for the day and so I'm more that but that's just me personally like a lot of people listen to music because them. And I guess because I'm in the industry, typically, and I will listen to it, it, it just, it depends on the day and what I want to, you know, if it's worship music, yes, I like to listen to music that has some form of a message or I can learn something from, mm-hmm. um, or if somebody recommends an artist, then I'll, I'll definitely put them on. But most times I'm listening to podcasts and, and I'm interested in what other people or athletes or um you know entrepreneurs whatever um are talking about and because i you know i do a lot of cold plunging and saunas and you know there's other things that i do that i'm always researching and looking to and i'm very interested so um but music is very healing and so i find that if you are uh looking for an outlet music definitely is a communicative skill that people can tune into you know I've, I've a certain song just for example I swear that a lot of vets listen to or suicide victim families listen to or people who are in a funk they listen to it and know it's, it's very inspiring I've been told and so that's the power of a song or music so it can also be healing for others and sometimes for myself, like, you know, hmm. either a song I've myself that has a message I need to listen to or a song by somebody else. So, yeah, absolutely. Music plays a big role, but it also plays a role. Um, just whatever you ingest, you typically put out there. So if you're listening a lot to music that has an undertone of demonic uh, you know, a feeling to it, or it's very, very depressing, then that's going to have an effect on your body the same way the news or anything tragic does. It doesn't serve you well to sit down with that. If you need to for a song or two, fine, you know, whatever, get in your feels. But nothing positive comes from ingesting anything negative into your body. And that's with food or people or mindset, you know. So, Again, that's that plays a role in in people's uh, mental health as well. Mm. So the more positive things you're listening to, uh, you're better off, you know, all around for your for your own mental health. Yeah. Where can people find your work, Claire? Where can they hear you playing? Is it Spotify that we need to go to, and Claire Cunningham that we need to search for? Or where can they find you? Where's the best way to support you? Honestly, any of the platforms that stream music, I'm on them. Um, so if you type in my name, Claire Cunningham, and that's C-L-A-R-E, uh, Cunningham, um, the, my website has all of my links um, kind of 
whatever your preferred listening service are, you can kind of link up on that. And it's just clairecunninghammusic.com. But yeah, Apple Music, iTunes, Spotify, um, Pandora, you know, anywhere that really has a streaming platform, I'll be on there, you know, um, or, or that's, that's the hope. Uh, the last time I checked, uh, I'm on there. So. <laughs> Grand. And of course, if anybody wants you to play at a festival or a gig or that kind of thing, you'll be playing at least one Irish festival of the 350 or Celtic festival that you apply to. But, <laughs> but I'm sure if they follow you on yeah. Instagram or on Facebook, they'll be able to find out where you're playing in the future as well. Yes, absolutely. So I, I run all my socials and do all that stuff too. So typically, uh, if anybody wants to know specifically where I'm playing, you can always read reach out to me and I'll do my best to reply but otherwise my bigger festivals and tours um, I I have linked on my website there or on Instagram and, and Facebook I'm very active so I do my very best to inform people of, of where I'm at and what I'm doing you know Claire Cunningham, a one-woman music industry, a one-woman Irish music industry in Nashville, Tennessee thank you so much for talking to me and drive carefully my sister Listen, thank you, and uh, I wish you all the best with everything. And you know, I really appreciate any any platform to to speak, especially when it comes to mental health. So, um, you know, I really appreciate that, Philip. And you know, us us foreigners over here in different countries will will hopefully rule the world one day. We'll have to stick together, won't we? Yes. <laughs> Of all the time I have spent away Year on year, day by day I'll take with me fine memories Dear Aaron's Island, my heart will always be Aaron in Aaron do you cry for the absence I've left behind? For when I dream, I dream about the days gone by Missing you out on the long, hard road Dear Aaron's There you go, the magnificently talented Claire Cunningham there, C-L-A-R-E. Go look her up on Spotify. That song is a little snippet of a tune called Éireann i Mochri, which I think will be dear to the hearts of many of the listeners of the Global Gale podcast. Uh, you'll find a bunch of other stuff there, some of her more country stuff, some of her more rock stuff, and she, she has a load of great tunes on there. There's a new single out now on Spotify as well, and just check all that out and support her any way you can. And if you happen to see her turning up at a festival or doing a gig anywhere near near Nashville or anywhere in America or if you have a gig to offer her you can get in touch with me or you can go and find her on social media and she's a great follow on social media because uh, she has this really great sort of you know uh, rock slash Americana image going on at the moment and as you will have heard there just a fantastic person full of energy and full of uh, positivity and good vibes that is it for this week's episode of the Global Gale podcast I hope you enjoyed it get in touch I hope it made you feel like you want to part with a five or a month to support it 
If it didn't, sure, it doesn't matter. They're going to be free anyway. But uh, keep tipping away there. And if you can't support the podcast, do me a favor, right? Reach out to someone on LinkedIn or post it in the family Facebook group, especially if you have Irish family abroad or contacts abroad or that kind of thing. Because, um, That'll help me grow the audience. And the more people that we reach, the more people, uh, the more likely it is that we might find people who are willing to support the podcast. And ain't that what it's all about? Because there's no point in me sitting here talking to myself. So I may as well have you help me out there and reaching as many people as possible. I'll be back next week from sunnier climbs. I'll be swapping Stockholm for Doha in the very near future. And I have another podcast now almost ready to bring you already. But I'll wait around and see if there's any sort of community news we can throw in there. But until we do that, look after one another. Look after yourselves most of all and I'll talk to you again soon on the Global Gale podcast.